Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by the UPS Store Canada. Um, um. <laughs> You're going to have to explain that now because. Well, there's a place down the hall from the studio. Is it Lam Koi Kung Fu Poseidon? Is that what it's called? The the, the dojo. Did we yeah. start? Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. not? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the dojo. <laughs> it always smells like incense when we come up. I, yeah. We see them training yeah. with uh, swords. Is it Lam Koi Kung Fu? I have no idea. Well, it's something I, like yeah. that. And every time I walk by and I see the sign, I can't help myself. I go, who lives in a pineapple under the sea? Lam Koi Kung Fu. <laughs> That's Poseidon, our producer, who yes. just said, did we start? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, usually the producers on top of yeah. those things, eh? Really, we're yeah. on? <laughs> you don't say. What? What day is it? <laughs> Why years? Terry DeMonte and Ted Bird. It's um, season six of the uh, podcast, and we're pretty, pretty thrilled about that. And again, we can't say enough uh, thank yous to you for downloading it and uh, for going to our um, social media sites. We appreciate that. Um, I know you hear this all the time online. Please click and like and blah, 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 blah. But please, please click, click and like <laughs> and blah, 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 blah. Right. <laughs> right. We've got a Facebook page and Instagram account and uh, um, the other uh, uh, Twitter. And, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's called X now. Yeah, well, it's X now. What a and bad branding, rebranding yeah, boy, exercise st- that yeah. was. I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah. We'll, we'll cover it's that. It's still Twitter to me. Yeah. I, I yeah. still and call it Twitter. Um, and um, On my deathbed. It's Twitter. <laughs> Famous last words. And uh, Sam Bird, uh, Ted's son, uh, helps with social media, as does my wife. Oh, he's got a... Sam has set up a... uh, He's got us on the ticker talker. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. So um, those things, we we appreciate you listening and and downloading the episodes and, and visiting the sites. And we can't do it without our sponsors. And our title sponsor is the UPS Store Canada, our good friend, David Drucker. We met David in the early 1960s when he was... Uh, <laughs> when he was with the Beatles. That's right. <laughs> John, Paul, George, and David. <laughs> he, um, he sold us our very first cell phone back in the... Uh, in the, I think, late 80s, early 90s. He made 90s. you pay. He gave me mine. Uh, did he? Yeah. Lucky you. Yeah. Um, anyway, David is now uh, the emperor at uh, the UPS Store Canada. He runs an amazing organization that serves entrepreneurs and businesses all across the country. Over 370 stores. Uh, and what you do is you go to the upsstore.ca. You'll find a location near you. They'll help you with shipping. They'll help you with packing. It's a place you can buy those packing peanuts. You can get a mailbox there. You can get a passport picture there. If you go to the website, you'll find business tips on their blog. They'll also give you some ideas about moving. Uh, You can get boxes there. It really is a one-stop shop for either entrepreneurs or people that have shipping 
uh, issues, problems. And the person that owns that store that you're going to visit, he's an entrepreneur too. They live in your community. And I'm telling you, there's one right around the corner from you. Go to the upsstore.ca. Thanks, David. Very excited about our guest today, longtime friend and uh, longtime uh, um, fa- I've, I hate to use the word famous, Bruce, but I'm going to use it. Uh, Bruce Hills has been in the public eye now for many, many years um, with the Just for Last Festival, and he now runs the joint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, welcome, Bruce. Thanks for taking time on a busy Friday. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon, and everybody knows how much fun the Met is on a Friday Jeez, afternoon. Murphy. So thank you. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. But <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so nice to see you both. Yeah, I've seen you both throughout my career. and. Including uh, my time uh, co-hosting, I think, with Robbie Praw on TSN at That's the time, right. 990 yeah. or 690, I'm it not sure. It was 690. Okay. Yeah, they, they had moved over to 690 at that point. I forgot about that. Is that How's Robbie Praw? Is he still at Netflix? He is running all things comedy around the world for Good Netflix. for him. He's a big Jeez deal Louise. Yeah, he was wow. with Chappelle last night filming the latest special. Wow. And he's the top... Dude at Netflix. And, Here, let uh, me get that name for you, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> there are going to be yeah. a lot of names being dropped today, I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> the circles Bruce yeah. travels well, in. Well, listen, yeah. he's your, your co-host. I yeah. mean, uh, I have to say, I, I, I really was a, a great experience at how desperate TSN was to invite Robbie and I to co-host <laughs> anything. Um, and that's why, thankfully, they had Ted in charge because it, it really gave me an understanding of how good a broadcaster Ted was because he could corral yeah, the two of us into a show that I think was kind of listenable. That's when they that still liked you. <laughs> yeah, that was that was ten years ago. Was no, it really? It was yeah. ten wow. years ago, yeah. or maybe eleven? It was twenty twelve or twenty thirteen because they showed me the door there at twenty thirteen. Yeah. yeah, there's the door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Walk through it. Okay, <laughs> I come back. I was trying to think of this last night, Bruce. Um, I I have sort of vague memories of when we first met. But I think it probably was, you know, at 6.30 in the morning one morning when you would walk through the control room door with a comedian in tow when you first got started. So could we start there? How did you end up at Just for Laughs and where did you start? Well, I started uh, my, you know, sort of beginning in entertainment was just sort of hustling every day, trying to figure out a way to get in the business while I was at university, CJEP University, so on. And one day I met Andy Nolman, who was my professor wow. at uh, LaSalle College. Really? Wow. Yes, professor, I was a high achiever. Of what? <laughs> uh, uh, I think marketing at the time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he had a column in the journal, not the journal anymore. The, Suburban? The, uh, no. In Sunday the, Express. Correct. There you go. Sunday Express. And I was here. always very impressed with all the comedians he was hanging out with, and I and I and I just really in, enjoyed Andy and Andy's energy. Yeah. And then so I I picked his class, and I I you know I did pretty well in it, and I think he showed he saw that uh, I had a little bit of street hustle to my uh, okay performance in the class, and uh, you know one day he said you know I have a bunch of different opportunities with his marketing company, and then little by little. Uh, I bumped into, he said there was a driver's gig available at Just for Last in 1986 um, and said it's way better paid than what I could give you, you know, working in the marketing department. So go do that. And uh, it was a great, you know, a great beginning in my career because, you know, you can make a real impact on someone, negative or positive, uh, but most of the time positive, luckily. Uh, picking someone up in an airport and yep. being their first person they meet in a country, in a city, 
and having those those that time to talk to them as you drive them to the uh, to the hotel. You know, they're asking you for the restaurant suggestions. They're asking you what shows they should go see. Before you know it, you've you're their key person at the festival. We should explain movie sets, movie productions, uh, comedy festivals, the like. They have people, of course, pick up the performers at the airport. Yeah. That was your job. That was my job. But but most importantly was picking up the producers and TV executives, oh, et cetera. Okay. Yep. So one of the most important people I picked up the first year was uh, a gentleman that was the, uh, you know, was the executive producer of David Letterman. And, um, and he said to me one day, uh, you know, if you ever come to New York, you know, here's my phone number. Yep. You know, four months later, I called it not expecting anything. And he says, what are you doing right now? And I said, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm walking down the street. He says, we have a show in two hours. Do you want to come? So off I go. To a taping of Letterman? Uh, to, uh, to a taping of David Letterman. And, you know, he takes me around the set. He makes sure I avoid David because David did not <laughs> want to meet a Bruce Hills in any way, shape, or form. And uh, and then that was just the beginning. Is that real- Rob Morton? That was not Robert Martin. That was Barry Sands. Barry Sands. So yeah. the early days. Yeah. The early days. Yeah. So 1986. Wow. Anyway, all that to say, I realized that this driving gig was a phenomenal uh, opportunity to meet people and to build my Rolodex and to f- hopefully find the next gig. But by after uh, driving those two first summers, Andy Nolman said, hey, I might have an opportunity for you doing PR. Um knew a little bit about it, not much. He had taught me a little in school, and I, I, I helped him with a couple of his accounts at his marketing company. Um, and that summer, we had John Candy, and I had to, you know, take care of him. Wow. Not really do his PR, but, you know, drive him to the PR. Right. Uh, and uh, I got a chance to meet all these amazing comedians. And a couple months later, Andy said, hey, um, I know you're in university, but would you, we need a head of programming or a director of programming. I can't do it anymore because I I got to do some program, but I got to really run the business of this festival. Would you be interested? So I had to sort of decide. You know, first of all, the answer was yes, but how would that affect my education? I said, okay, well, I'll do it at night and I'll take on this gig. And uh, and luckily, I was the second hire in English in the entire company after Andy. I've been there ever since. This is a great lesson. Could this happen today? Yes. Could a, could a 19-year-old today? Yes. yes. This is a great lesson. If you're listening to this podcast, this is a great lesson about how to seize opportunity. Don't you agree? Well, absolutely. And, and a big part of what I do with some of my, you know, uh, some, I'll make a stop there for a second. One of the things I really love to do is I get invited often to speak at, speak at schools yep. from elementary to high school to university, but to especially to people in high school that are a bit lost like I was. I just said, all you need is momentum. Momentum can come in different ways. If you're stuck, just 10% better one day from the next is huge. Yeah. I said, you have if, if you're fortunate enough, because not everyone is, to have a roof over your, your head and you can afford to work for free, go do it. Go, go hustle the opportunity to get in the door because if you get in that door and that and you perform and the people that have uh, that you are working for are decent, decent human beings and you deliver, there will be a second opportunity or something that comes from it. But sitting on your couch complaining yeah. about it ain't going to get you nothing. Because a lot of people would say, I don't want to drive. I mean, what do you mean driver? I'm not a chauffeur. 
but you saw the bigger picture. That and I didn't really have a better opportunity that summer, <laughs> right. to be okay. quite honest. Right. You know, my I, son's doing that right now at yeah. Elevation yeah. Pictures in Toronto. Sure. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's interning at Elevation Pictures and he's working in PR and marketing and he's doing whatever they ask him to do. And uh, he's confident that it's going to lead to uh, bigger and better things. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Quick example: my daughter at London, um, in London at Western University, um, goes off and does a program. Uh, her last year where she had to go work for some company for the term. She went to work for a indie record label called AWOL. Um, loved it. The team there loved her, offered her a job. She wanted to finish university. She didn't take it. But the president, I forget the gentleman's name, but he was a real good dude, um, said, you can use me as a reference anytime you need me. Anyway, cut to graduates. She's hustling, trying to find an opportunity. Uh, a job at Sony Records is listed. And she starts to really, you know, go after that job, look for every way to make an impression in that job and to use any influence she can find. I had no, nothing to help her that in this case. She calls the president of AWOL, and he knows the president of Sony Records, well. and, uh, uh, and made sure they knew how uh, he made sure that everyone that was looking uh, looking at this uh, job filling knew about Allie and that he believed so much in her. She got the job. Yeah. Nice. And what does she yeah. do now, Bruce? What's her she title? She works for the Orchard Distribution label. Oh. Um, and they have people like Charlotte Cardin. They have uh, you know they have a vast array of people from yeah. Sony Records. Yeah. And she's loving it. She's in Toronto. Yeah. And um, this job is directly linked to exactly what your son yep. Sam is doing, Ted. Yeah. You know, and I and I and I hope for him that, you know, he's as lucky as Ali. And given the fact that I've had a couple conversations with him, I th I would wouldn't be surprised if it does lead to something really good. Yeah, for him. I think he's gonna do well. He'd better. He's gonna have to take care of me. <laughs> and that's gonna be soon. So hot to it, son. <laughs> Bruce, for people people know the name Just for Laughs, and you know I've talked about this on the radio before, but I want to cover it here. Just for Last just didn't happen. You know, it started somewhere. It was a germ of an idea. Whose idea was it? And and how did it get off the ground that somebody said, you know what, we should do a festival of comedians? Well, what happened is that Gilbert Rosson, the founder of JFL, yep. someone no longer involved in the festival picture, um, was running a music festival. Um, I think it was in year two. Um forget where it was, but it was your only way of getting there was by bus. And he had Tina Turner. He had, oh, my favorite was Men With Hat. That was, <laughs> that, that was on the poster. Still my favorite thing of all time. Uh, you know, so, you know, maybe that's the beginning of what went wrong. But there was a, so he put all this money into this music festival and there was a bus strike. Wow. Okay. And I forget where it was, but it was not something you could walk to and get to very easily. So the festival tanked. He lost a fortune, and he was looking for the next big idea, and that idea, he thought, maybe was comedy, and that's what he went out to the market and said, I'm going to pay you all back. I'm going to start this comedy festival. So the first two years in in French, um, and then in year three, I think he reached out to Ernie Butler, if I'm, mm -hmm. if I'm um, correct, and Ernie did the first, Ernie did the first uh, English edition, and then in year four, they brought Andy in, and uh, that was the first year I drove. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because it, it, 
I remember when it started, like it's hard to imagine today because now it's a worldwide phenomenon, but it's hard like to know that back then we thought, hey, this is a good idea. You could go see comedians every night. Right. Like it was a it was, you know, not it was a festival on the on the the music model, but with comedy. And we all thought it was genius. It was like, wow, well, what a good idea. I listen, the best thing that ever happened for Just for Hill, Just for Last was being first. Yeah. And also, uh, remember what was also happening at that point. Comedy was largely a nightclub business. Yeah. Ninety five percent of all comedians performed at nightclubs. Um, there was one sitcom star, Bill Cosby. Uh, there wasn't many comedians starring in movies unless they were, you know, Eddie Murphy or Steve Martin. Uh, it was a pre, you know, this wasn't a multi-billion dollar business at the time. You know, there were two people in the world that could sell an arena at that point, and neither of them wanted to do it any longer, Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. And everyone else, if if they were blew up, could do this in any theater. Uh, Jay Leno, when he first came, he was playing Club Soda. But, but it was a very small business, comedy as a whole. And in the early 90s, when everyone wanted to find the next Cosby, the next Tim Allen, Tim Allen discovered in Montreal, uh, because we were also not only a comedy festival selling tickets to comedy fans in French and English, largely to Montreal and outlying areas, we became an industry hotspot. What happened was the Hollywood industry showed up in Montreal looking for that sitcom star because there was nowhere else to go other than to stick yourself in the comedy store every night on Sunset Boulevard or the Improv or in New York City at the Cellar at that time, Catch a Rising Star, Caroline's, whatever was running at that point. Uh, what we were able to do is sort of put the best of the world together yeah. in Montreal and say, here's what we believe is the best offering of comedians this year. Come and have a look. And thankfully, they did. And I don't know. Was uh, it hard to convince people to come at first? It was very hard to get stars. Right. Because gotcha. we couldn't figure out how to pay them properly. We weren't really, uh, you know, we had very limited yeah. finances We're in a with, wash our, money. with, with yeah. our TV shows. Um, but I'll never forget uh, 1987, we had um, David Steinberg. And David said to us, you know, now that you've booked me, the rest of it's going to be much easier because you've had someone as famous as me next year is going to be a lot easier. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, and, uh, and I, you know, and the next year Andy booked John Candy, the oh, biggest yeah. star in the world, yeah. our Canadian, you wow. know, uh, uh, you know, our Canadian superstar. And that summer, Andy put a, de a deal together to go live on HBO in America. Yeah. With John Candy hosting while he was in, you know, one of the biggest movie stars in the world. And that show, you know, blew the doors open. Changed everything. Changed everything. Yeah. You know, the next year, I think we, uh, uh, we were, you know, we had broadcasters chasing us. We lined up with CBC uh, in Canada for the, for the English broadcasting rights, probably also Radio Canada for the French. And we were off. And then comedy boom. Yeah. Everyone's going crazy. Every comedian that shows up is getting a $500,000 holding deal. Uh, wow. And, uh, you know, and there's 11 sitcoms st starring, you know, uh, sitcoms right. uh, starring uh, stand-up comedians. Right. And, uh, and then, you know, the boom 
There was a bust. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Suddenly yeah. it falls out of favor, right? Yeah. Well, it just what happened, I think, was is that everyone thought uh, in your town the solution for your nightclub that no one was going to was making it a comedy club. Right. And instead of having, you know, one 300-seater and a 100-seater, there were three 500-seaters <laughs> trying to kill each other, overpaying, <laughs> and never being able to feed the quality that the consumer right. was expecting, while A&E and every TV channel was putting stand-up on. Uh, it sort of, uh, comedy sort of blew its own brains out. Was it your idea to do, because this is one of the things that I loved. It was, to me, it was like, um, it was almost like a football team because there was the, uh, there was the galas, mm -hmm. which were like your offensive line, you know, and then there were all kinds of, you know, other little shows, mm -hmm. including the Montreal show that Ted and I were lucky mm -hmm. enough to host for all those years. And, and it seemed to, you know, I remember there was a time when people were like, When's it going to be announced? When's it going to be announced? So people could plan out their week, yeah. which was really, it was a really, really cool buzz. It's like, okay, we'll go, we'll go to Club Soda at 1130 on Wednesday, and then we'll do the gala on Friday. And, and was that, was, were you part of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Andy and I basically, you know, and Andy was the guy in charge in that era, but he handed me a lot of the keys and, you know, I think the Montreal show was my idea or one of my team's ideas that we formed into what we believe uh, was an amazing uh, run. And, by the way, it's come back. Something, yes. Something yep. it, so it was long overdue. How did it do? Very well. Yeah. What's and, that? Uh, the, the Montreal show. Oh, the Montreal show. Yeah, they yeah. brought it back because okay. they didn't ask us. Yeah, well, we're... <laughs> That's how, well, listen. <clears throat> we're, we're Montreal show hosts emeritus. Yes. We had our run. We had our run. We had our run. Yeah, yeah, we did. Well, the yeah. funny thing about it was actually Pantelis was really working me hard to say, you know, I don't think there's enough attention on the Montrealers, and there are Montrealers you're not seeing. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, op we opened the door for him and said, sure. Who was on? Do you, do you, you know what? Do you I don't have the line. No, I don't. Yeah. I, and I would do it, wouldn't do it justice. Because there's some good young talent in the yeah, city. I agree. There's some I agree. funny, funny yeah. guys in the city, young guys and gals. This is a yeah. good opportunity to tell Bruce, Sugar Sammy is a sponsor of the podcast. <laughs> How about that? Can you I believe that? I love it. Yeah. Sugar Sammy called, <laughs> called me and, and said, uh, tell me about your podcast. And, you know, I said, well, you know, Ted and I get together in one of them. And as you know, Sammy is a very, very, very fall-down funny, hilarious, uh, stinging, really sharp-minded comedian who's also an amazing businessman. That's and, for sure. And said, you know, I'm looking more and more at podcasts. And he said, I want to I want to sponsor yours. And I, I called Ted, and we were absolutely uh, tickled pink. I shouldn't have used that phrase, but you know what I mean. We, we were absolutely thrilled. Sugar Sammy is on the road, and um, if you haven't, how can we describe it? How would you describe him, Bruce? You've seen a lot of comedians. How would you well, describe listen, Sugar I, Sammy? Well, listen, he's probably doing, obviously, across Canada, he's doing his yeah. English show. Yeah. Uh, and, and, he, yeah. He's doing the bilingual, the bilingual one show, where there is yeah. a francophone market. Yeah, Winnipeg, yeah. Calgary. He's doing the French, the bilingual one. Yes. Okay, there are pockets of francophones well, in all St. Boniface in Winnipeg. <laughs> There's a really uh, healthy uh, French immersion population in um, Calgary. Uh, I don't know about Edmonton, and I know in Vancouver, in there the lo lower ma mainland, there's a huge French immersion population, and there's a he, so he'll be doing three different languages in that in that yeah, area because he's doing Hindi as That's well. True, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because uh, a lot a lot of uh, a lot of his people are there, and they love him, and when you see him. He reminds me of, uh, he reminds me of like a, a, you know, I don't want to say social commentary, 
but he spares to nobody. To, hey? to some degree. And, and you know what he pulled off that everyone thought would be a no-brainer? Hey, do a bilingual show. You know how many times we tried to do a bilingual show and it was yeah. horrible? Yeah. yeah, Horrible. We just gave up after. Um, and uh, he figured it out. But he also figured out how much French and English, especially in certain communities, multicultural communities, and younger folks that are way more open-minded are thinking bilingual in the yeah. city. Yeah. You know, Big it's time. also eye-opener for me just to watch what happened with Sammy because I looked at it and said, you know what, here we are marketing to Ottawa and Burlington and Plattsburgh and, you know, cities within a, you know, 90-minute drive. I said, you know what, we got to do a better job marketing to francophone, bilingual francophones because they're three metro stops away. Yeah. You know, yeah. and he proved it. And yeah. if you can talk to them, which he figure out a way to, and be as funny as he is. I mean, look at his business. I, I don't yeah. think there's been it's anyone crazy. in Quebec that have sold tickets like that since the glory days of maybe Andre Philippe Gagnon yeah. when he did a year at Cinnany Theater or something. And, his, and that's I, I 35 love, plus years ago. Yeah. I love his marketing too. His billboards and his Metro boards are, yeah. they're fall down hilarious because he goes right at the people, you know, the people who are always, you know, trying, you know, the Journal de Montréal gang are always yeah. shooting, taking shots at him. He's just, I can't say enough nice things about this show. And if you want to see this show, it's called You're Gonna Rear Two. Good or I luck. Guess you're Gonna Rear <laughs> Do. Yeah. Um, it's uh, completely sold out for 2023. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's just added dates in 2024, but January is already sold out. Yeah. So you should hurry because February is going quick. You can get all the information at sugarsammy.com. I'm telling you, you're going to have a ball if you spend the evening. Ted and I went on a date. Uh, was it last? We did, yeah. Hey, we yeah. went. We had a nice meal, and we went down to the... Uh, Fiat Maisonneuve, is that it? No, no. No, it was it's the, the one uh, right across the street from um, it was, uh, St. Denis Theater. Yeah, he, I think this was... I don't know if this is true, but he went into the UCAM Theater, it was the, which is they a hotbed of... Fiat Kelka shows. Yeah, it's yeah. a hotbed of nationalism, and he, he But sold he had the crowd months. eating out of his hands. Absolutely. Hand because yeah. he's so likable. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. He's just so likable. Yeah, he's... And I, I can speak from experience of becoming friends with him. He's such a kind, good, and decent soul. He used to be my next-door neighbor. I yeah, mean, he's not, over he's not, there's not a sugar. malicious bone in his body. Isn't that funny? You go over and borrow sugar from Sugar Sammy? That's just stupid. I shouldn't have brought that up. I should have left that in Sorry. my head. SugarSammy.com. Let's do the tweet sheet. Okay, we're going to do the tweet sheet. Let me explain right. to Bruce what Please the tweet do. sheet sure. is. Okay. Uh, every morning on the... Morning show, radio show I do on Light 106.7, I do something called the Tweet Sheet where I'll pick three funny things from Twitter and I'll read them and get my co-host's reaction. And uh, quite often I'll come across one that I won't be able to use on the radio because of broadcasting regulations. Mm -hmm. But since uh, the podcast, for now, is still part of the Wild West, uh, we, bring them onto the, uh, we bring them onto the podcast, the, uh, the unsavory ones that we can't get away with on the radio. <clears throat> Pardon me. So I set three aside, and I usually try to curate them with the guest in mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, <clears throat> pardon me. Ted's been fighting the cold. Yeah. These were curated, Bruce, uh, with you in mind. Have we got them? You ready? Yeah, all set to go. All right. Here you go. Oh, you're going to have to make that bigger because I can't read that. Okay. Yeah, just a yeah. moment. My there apologies, yeah. dear sir. Okay, there we go. From at short sleeve suit, me finishes the last bite of a juicy peach. Nature's bounty is truly fulfilling. 
Murderer stops stabbing me. You know what? <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. Keep being so cheerful. A little bit of darkness yeah. there, eh? Tad, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't use that on the radio. From at friggin' French, are you even a dad if you haven't told your offspring they used to live in your balls? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Sam told me that before I ever said it to oh, him. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Hey, Dad. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, I really like this last one. From at whatever that is. Man, being a writer in the 50s was easy as shit. You just crank out six movie musicals a year called, like, Wet as a Whistle, Happy as a Clam, and then six war pictures called, like, Glory on the Beach. And when anyone asked you if you were a communist, you just went, nope. Uh, that's funny. That's very funny. Tip of the hat to old Hollywood. Yeah, true, yeah, yeah, it's very true, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, I thought you'd like that, Bruce. It'd get a nice show business ring to it. Bruce Hills is our guest. Is it CEO? Bruce? No, it's, it's uh, COO. It's, it's it used to be. It's president of it's just for president. Life. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know. Yeah, whatever. It's the same. Do it's I have fine. to call you Mr. President? No. <laughs> okay. No, that's that a long way from driving guys around in a yeah yeah. In and a it's car. now uh, just for laughs Toronto, just for laughs Chicago, just for laughs Montreal. And no, no Chicago. Up, no Chicago. I, I wish. I wish okay. we could get back, but no. We're Montreal. We're Toronto. We're Vancouver. We're Sydney, Australia. Yep. We are London, England. And Jesus. we are Austin, Texas, with our lovely partners uh, at the Moon Tower, Moon Tower Comedy Festival that we do together. Uh, they have, um, they own the and run the most beautiful theater in Austin, Texas, called the Paramount, yeah. a Heritage Building, and another room um, called the State. And then you we, love Austin, eh? Oh, love you Austin, love and, Austin. And then we rent other spaces all throughout the city, all the way from the arena to these. Uh, um, the um, Austin City Limits venue from yep. time to time and all kinds of seedy clubs <laughs> in and around 6th Street well, that you, are great. You, you told me about Austin before Austin was cool. Well, I remember I, you I, came back one year and you said, oh, my God. Well, What it, is what, it that makes it such a great arts town, Bruce? Well, first off is that my background is my mom and dad at University of Texas, so I used to go there for summer camp because my grandmother would pay for it. And I would get to go off into the wild and shoot at things and run away from scorpions and, and, you know, and snakes and so on. But it was a lovely experience. And at that time, Austin was, was I think it was brand was, oh, I forget what it was, but something weird. But, but it was a weird sort of mix of hippies, one of the biggest university campuses in the, in the United States, University of Texas, uh, 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 a, a Mexican immigrant community, uh, an African-American community, and they kind of got along, you know, which was kind of not Texas. Yeah. And, 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 you're, and within that, you had one of the best live music scenes in North America, uh, launching the Stevie Ray Vaughan's of the world and where Willie Nelson lived out on a ranch, you know, was very cool, very country, but cool country to rock and roll. Um, Alejandro Escovedo, you name it. Um, and they had uh, have amazing venues, and then little by little, and I, I wanted an excuse to go to Austin because I loved it so much uh, to scout comedy. I sort of made an excuse I had to go to Austin because I wanted to be there. But little by little, it actually turned into the coolest comedy sort of town in America, small town in America. There were others that had a much bigger scene. Today, Joe Rogan has moved there. Yeah. Joe Rogan is doing his podcast from there. There's a, a whole array of new comedy clubs that have been uh, built and are running very well. And lots of famous comedians 
in addition to Joe, uh, Ron White, Tom Segura have moved there. Tony Hinchcliffe has moved there. So now it's actually wow. top three comedy market in, in, in North America. Um, it's amazing. But Austin, overdeveloped currently, but still has that coolness. As long as you don't go during the middle of some huge festival where every hotel room is 700 bucks and right. you can't get an Uber or you can't walk anywhere, uh, go in the off season. Uh, fantastic food, fantastic arts. You could spend a week going to music shows and never see the same artist. I uh, couldn't recommend it more. And on top of it, I need some money from Air Canada for you guys at least. Yeah. Uh, uh, Air Canada just put in uh, nonstop flights as of May. I was going to say, you must be a member of Aeroplan, uh, well, Australia, I, London. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right is there not a Formula One race there as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it an annual? It's oh, an yeah, annual yeah, yeah. fixture. Yeah, it's. They've got the money. They got the the, the football team, the, the soccer team. Uh, you know, um, um, you know, the university is a huge piece of business. That, and Austin City Limits is legendary. 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 Yeah. And, and the new venue is just spectacular. Wow. I got to see. Um, Springsteen there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, did something during South by Southwest. Um, yeah, the city's great. I, I couldn't recommend it more. And, and, and when you do go, uh, gentlemen, um, I have a nice list of things that you can Excellent. do. Excellent. Bruce, um, I, I, I've known you for a long time, so I know you're going you're gonna to bat this question away, but uh, try not to. Try and, and – because uh, you're a very humble guy. But are you now in a position where you can go into a club and people – who are young performers will whisper, the Just for Laughs guy is here. You know what? Sure. But, um, you know, um, yes. Yeah, that happens. Because you're you know, looking all the time, right? Yeah. But but what also is happening, too, is that we have an amazing team of people that have also gained that level of respect right. that are scouting for us, like Robbie Pra did when yeah. he was working for us. And now Nick Brazell and the whole team that uh, works on the programming end of things. You know, we have also hired people in the States in New York, in LA, to scout, and we've hired really good, smart people with great taste. So, yes, of course, yes. if I walk in, and but uh, also I think we've done a really nice job of hiring really good people that are bringing the best to Montreal, and I really trust because at some point, you know, when you're a 61 year old dude, and someone says something's someone or is funny and you don't really relate as much as maybe you would have in the past, you just got to go with the smart people you hire um, and not have me in the middle of that. I'm still involved, but I do not uh, get in the way of smart, competent people. I want to keep them motivated, and I want the right decision made. I worry about the bigger picture and the business, and you know, obviously certain bookings that have a huge impact on us when we bring in the big stars. But it's really important to me to have the smartest comedy, you know, eyes in the business, ears in the business. You know, do you, what's the sorry? Go, go ahead, what's the difference uh, between uh, knowing what's funny and being smart about it? If that question yeah. makes any sense, like what's a makes, great question? What makes yeah. a good comedy scout? I think figuring out the balance of being able to see what's about to happen. And what I mean by that, sometimes you see someone with a really dark sensibility and their jokes aren't yet fully developed and their stage presence isn't yet fully developed. But you go, if that person can put it together, they could be 
a very special comment. They could be the next Patrice O'Neill. They could be the next Jim Norton. It's not just assessing the obvious, okay? Is It is like, I guess, a sports scout. Uh, look at see, look at the potential. Yeah. And what the important part of the potential is, it's not just performance, performer. Um, it's the point of view. Is someone going somewhere where we could look and say that that person is going to break new ground, is going to talk about things that other people aren't talking about? Because um, that's very important. Because you've, you've got to continue to look for the next voice in comedy and not just... You know, uh, do you remember the early days of watching and thinking, I think this guy is going to be successful and turned out to be right about it? Yeah. And, and, and you know, obviously I'm going to give you the, you know, the side, you know, and, and many times being wrong about it. But, uh, you know, some were obvious, some weren't. Look, you know, as much as, uh, you know, I sat there and watched a VHS of Dave Chappelle and anyone watching that tape would have said, wow, who yep. is that? I mean, honestly, anyone. Um, he's 18 years old. Um, he had 14 minutes of TV-ready material. He could have done three Tonight Show sets the next day. Uh, normally, I, if I was lucky, in my box of VHS tap, tapes, if I had 100, I'd have three, four. Eh, they're not that original, but they'll get it done. You know, sort of a dude in a suit. Yep. Walking out there, very polished, nothing surprising, but good. And you know, they'd get yep. the gala set. They could be make the people in the Senate Theater happy, but they wouldn't destroy it. You'd see half a Hicks, oh, half God. a Mitch Hedberg. Because yeah. the first Mitch Hedberg wasn't a finished product. Well, it just was, oh, love the yeah. persona, mm -hmm. love the brain. Some of those jokes are genius. Some of them aren't there yet. But two years after seeing him in Minneapolis, he was a no-brainer. But I didn't book him on the spot. I just thought, hmm. He's going. Yeah. Back to the original point of view. I'm looking for the Mitches because when you, and thanks to, uh, to you very much, Terry, so when you have a Bill Hicks at your festival oh. who in the early 90s is the, you know, is the guy of the event that everyone is talking about, and not only in Montreal, but around, especially in England where he, he took off, um, the next year to say, who's the next Bill? So you can't just say, here are the three guys I found in the right. box that are, right. you know, in the nice suit and they've got the Tonight Show jokes ready and, you know, you know Leno's going to love them. Um, uh, you got to find that Hicks. you got to find that Mitch. you got to find that Greg Giraldo. Well, uh, somebody was doing it because <laughs> my favorite part of the festival was always the Nasty Show because mm -hmm. you were introduced. To, I'll never forget the first night I, I saw Louis, Louis C.K. I was with Ted. Mm -hmm. And I remember leaning over to Ted and saying, what a stupid name. Like, is he, a, is it Louie or is it, what, what is it? And he came out and within, I would say within 35 seconds, you and I were on the floor. Yeah. That was, wasn't that the night of Hunty McShitballs? I think it was. Hunty McShitballs Airport? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. His joke or about Hospital Wing. Oh God. Comedians yeah, but, hate when you do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but one thing I will say about Louie is that, where Louis was a writer first, yeah, developed into a performer, God. but the material was so, so good, yeah, and original, yeah, and so appropriate yeah, for a nasty show. It still is, by the way. I yeah. just want to say that you and I subsequently saw him at the old comedy works upstairs on Bishop Street, yeah, uh, maybe two or three years later, and yeah. he was still doing some of the same jokes, yeah. and a couple of times. We knew what was coming for a punchline, yeah, and we started to laugh. <laughs> and at one point, he kind of looked at us like, 
What are you guys doing? Shut What's up. wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> this was before he got really big too, yeah. so he couldn't understand why people. Yeah, knew well, the I've material. seen him. I've seen him upstairs <laughs> at the comedy works. I saw him at Bourbon Street West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. During probably put him on one festival. of the yeah. packages there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But that era was pretty special. Was it ever? You had David Tell. You yep. had Geraldo. You had Patrice. Doug Stanhope, I saw Doug him at the same uh, nasty show that Louis C. That we saw Louis C.K. Okay. at at the old Club Soda, which was such a great room oh up boy, on Park Avenue. I don't even know what that place is now. Oh, it's a it's a indie rock room. It's actually well booked. I, I did, just last night I was driving by it, and there was a big bus there okay. for oh, some good. indie band. Do they ever do comedy shows or just music? Uh, they do a lot of stuff. It's yeah. still really well done. It was uh, a great room. As, was it ever? As comedians well, that's say, yeah. just, the, just the layout, oh, remember, the vibe. But was... remember what midnight felt on yeah. a Friday night after three rooms, th th three full rooms, and not the right, you know, and the worst air conditioning in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to have to fight with Ruben. He goes, I swear the air conditioning <laughs> works. Like, I don't think it does. Well, it that's does. where we did the Montreal shows, yeah. and I, yeah. I always packed two towels. With yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I was always uh, always schwitzing from nerves, but that in July that theater was uh, whoo boy that was that was a special well, place. I mean, I remember one year we um, filmed a um, we filmed a special for uh, MTV, I think it was, and putting TV lights in July, oh, third show God. of the night was wow. a complete utter uh, disaster. Wow, wow. Uh, people were just. It was, you know, here's what you, you've got a TV audience, the show's running long, and now it's sweltering. And that is, and then the comics know it's sweltering. Yeah. So now that's an excuse. Right. And now they're nervous about the, the, the heat in the room, let alone the fact they have to go do a set for television. Yeah. You know? Well, uh, I, I remember the, the first night of Comedian, I don't remember who said it to me, but it was somebody that was, I think it was an invited guest because what was great about the Montreal show at Club Soda is every once in a while someone would come to try a set out or material. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget Seinfeld came one night. Yep. And I remember the one of the first times I met a comedian, I think he was from New York, I can't remember who it was, and I came off stage and he went, how's the room? And I didn't understand what he meant because I, I hadn't been hanging around comedy that long. And I said, uh, it's great. <laughs> like I, I didn't really know how to answer that question, but... They they suss that up before they go out on stage, oh, yeah, right? For sure, heat, laughter, energy, yeah, all of the above. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Bruce, do you remember a time? I I'm going to leave all the names out of these stories, but I remember one time I said to you, you know, uh, I'm going to be down in Los Angeles, and I'd like to maybe go see da da da. And you said to me, Why on earth would you want to go see da da da? Da 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 is such a dick. And I was like, Oh. Okay, like that's thanks for the warning and that, you know, because that can burst your bubble if you meet somebody mm -hmm. that you're right, a fan right. of and, and they're not particularly nice. Do you remember the first occasion or an occasion where either as a driver or as, you know, a programmer where you book somebody and you go, Jesus Christ, this guy's a real or this person is a real pain in the ass? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think, you know, the it was interesting. The old legends the, sorry the, the legends the yep. the burls and jerry lewis's and jonathan winters and don rickles either was a gem or a complete nightmare <laughs> you know um and please it, tell me rickles was a gem oh, please the best yeah. the best the best the best yeah. and uh oh what a what a sweetheart but what was actually i'll, I'll tell you a very quick story about don um we were at moisha's 
a bunch of guys and my wife, Liz, um, around a table and, you know, he was busting everyone's balls and it was, you know, everyone loved it. They wanted, yeah. you know, have him target. Uh, and, uh, so at one point he asked about, what was it? Oh, he was, um, uh, my wife, who's not Jewish, she's Lebanese. He was asking about obscure Jewish holidays, and my wife knew the name, the the the, the holiday, because she worked at the Sadie Bronfman Center at the time. He was so impressed. Oh, you morons! You know you don't know this woman. You know she has to come sit next to me. Anyway, but later that night, he was saying he was telling us the stories about coming to Montreal during the glory days. You know where Sinatra would be in a club, and you know it was the hottest spot uh, in you know North America. Um, and he said, I was always hanging out with this quarterback. Uh, you know, he was the big star in the uh, CFL. And he said, he goes, ah, his name was. And he looks around the room at all the guys. No one. Me, obviously not. But all the guys that should have known of that era. And Liz says, I, I, I think, again, I'm sorry, I'm just realizing. I, so bad that I don't even remember. I think it was Sam Etcheberry. Right. And Liz says, you mean Sam Etcheberry? He goes, okay. It's over. <laughs> all of you, none of you can talk to me again. You're all morons. You are morons. She knows a quarterback from the 50s, and you don't even. Uh, so uh, so Liz still gets the biggest kick out of it's it. It's such an amazing thing to be in the presence of that, isn't yeah. it? Well, so that's that who he is, eh? He, oh, uh, who he was. He was who he was, eh? The guy was... we saw on stage, that was him. Yeah, and here's the thing. You know, I I... When he wasn't well and when we got him back to uh, Montreal the final time and we had to roll him out, not he couldn't walk out. I uh, went in to see him and uh, thank him for coming. And he said, come down. So I just got down on my knees and I whispered in his ear and I had a conversation with him like that, which, you know, worried me a little bit. I said, oh, my God, how, how is he going to perform? Yeah. Similar thing that happened to me to Henny Youngman. But the same thing happened uh, with Don that happened with Henny was, so first of all, he sat down, he wanted to tell me how impressed he was, how the festival had grown and thanked me for bringing him back. I was like, uh, you know, obviously I was head over heels telling him how much I was honored to be, you know, booking him again. Um, you know, but kind of going, hmm, I hope this is going to go okay. Yeah. You know, because what is his act, right? It's that energetic uh, Don Rickles insulting everyone. Um, of course, the light goes on. We rolled him out. We had a little, some dancers doing a thing. So no one saw him rolled out. He's seated at a chair and off to the races he goes. <laughs> you know, Henny Youngman, also a gym, one of the first people I ever picked up who treated me like gold. Wow. Uh, he was having soup behind, you know, backstage and was falling all, uh, slipping all over him. I was like, oh, my God. This is I, I, you know, I, I was all scared. I went up to one of the producers and I, you know, because I was a driver. I said, I, I don't know. I mean, this guy doesn't look like he's in a good place. Is he going to be okay? Uh, I don't know. But he's, he's on the show, so he's got to go on. And it goes out, kills. You know, the only thing we had to do was actually pull him off because he didn't know <laughs> when to get off. He couldn't see the red light. So I think David Steinberg came out and said, hey, you're the best, Henny. You got to come now. Uh, but he killed, yeah. you know, and I don't really want to get into the jerks. But I gave you a couple of names. You might guess within those names who I might be referencing. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I'm not looking for you to push anybody under the bus or something. But the, 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 it's better to hear the, the good stories because... Yeah. I think it's true that more often than not, um, you know, somebody like Rickles was uh, they came, the way they came up and all the, the hard work they had to do. You know, whether it was the uh, 
what's the name of the mountains in Catskills? Uh, the Catskills, yeah. or you know those those you know those early days of <clears throat> clawing out a living in a club. Those guys always seem so full of gratitude and 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 lovely and kind. And it's I think there are more of those stories than there are get the fuck out of my dressing room. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And 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 most of the time, the performer, if they're you know not behaving all that well yeah. or, 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 or seems uptight is because they're nervous. Sometimes that's not the case. Yeah. Sometimes that's their behavior on the yeah. best of days. But most of the time that's not the case. And, uh, you know, look, at the end of the day, I still believe, I, I still pinch myself and go, yeah, I'm you must. backstage at yeah. SNL standing next to Chappelle and Rock, after, you know, uh, with Lauren Michaels saying we should go into his office because there's too many people standing around. I mean, am I, <laughs> how did that happen? Okay. Okay. That's um, hold that because uh, I, I was going to ask you about SNL. I'm glad you brought it up. We've got to take a moment to thank a couple uh, a couple of more sponsors. This has really excited us that uh, not only did our sponsors come back, but the phone rang a couple of times and some new sponsors came on board. Sugar Sammy being one of them. And the other day, I had a lovely, lovely Zoom meeting with Tom and Trish from AccuTech Electric. And AccuTech Electric, um, the first thing I learned about them was their family business. Tom told me his father started the business over 25 years ago, and now Tom is the next generation that's taking over. And I said, Ted and I love those stories. Sold. We yeah. absolutely <laughs> love those stories. We would love to speak on your behalf. Second generation master electrician, Tom is. And now he runs AccuTech Electric, family run business, as we've mentioned. They really believe in their staff, giving their staff opportunity. They really believe in running a company an old-fashioned way with new ideas and and also a, a real firm grip on new technologies. They can help you with new builds. Uh, they can do industrial electrical work. They can work with an architect to design an electrical upgrade for a house you may be designing. They specialize in high-end residential renovations and new builds they're very proud of that and tom told me safety is their absolute top priority because i said i don't know anything about electricity or i know how to flick the fuse i know how to do that i can go downstairs in the garage and find the fuse that's kicked out but that's that's the end of it you can do that i can i'm impressed and what i do know is if you find if you're looking for a cut rate electrician that's a bad idea really bad idea yeah i i like the uh, <laughs> i'm reassured by master electrician yeah, versus uh, versus uh, untrained enthusiast yeah. yeah tom says they have an open door policy they love to talk to their clients and they really take a lot of pride in what they do. I'm so thrilled they thought us two knuckleheads could do something for them. AccuTech Electric. And what you do is go to their website, accutech.ca. That's A-C-U-T-E-C-H dot C-A. And you can get in touch with them and talk to these wonderful people who uh, think Ted and I can uh, help their business. Stunning and amazing. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Trish. Um, would you like to talk about your new car, Ted? My new car? Well, it's not a brand new car. No, I mean, but I got rid of the Bavarian money pit. Yes, the car. And it's the worst thing that's ever happened to the Mersons. <laughs> now they can't retire ten years earlier than they had originally planned. To. Speaking of family businesses, yeah, Merson Automotive, uh, with whom Terry and I have been doing business for about thirty years, 
And uh, they're in the height of their busy season. It's the uh, it's the fall and winter tire season. And uh, as always, rebates on Yokohama winter tires, which are as good as they come. And uh, also, you'll want to get a full uh, a full seasonal inspection done as well. And Merson will take care of that for you. And you don't have to go in and say, "I need you to do this," and "I need you to do that," and "I need you to do the other thing," because they know what you need. They know what you need, and they'll take care of it. And uh, whatever uh, repairs or maintenance needs to be done, they'll tell you, and they won't tell you that they need to do anything they don't need to do, because that's the way they do it. Uh, They will not sell you a product or a service that you do not require, and that's why people have been coming back for generations. Merson is a third-generation family-owed business, and I would uh, guesstimate that three generations of uh, a number of families have been coming back as well. Uh, I know that uh, I say to my kids whenever, um, you know, Dad, i got to need this for, go to Merson. There go. You go. Go to Merson. MersonAuto.com. Bruce Hills is our guest on this edition of the Standing By Podcast. Bruce, can you even explain? I mean, for me, I'm a, you know, I must admit I'm a, I don't know if I'm a, a you know, a star whore or whatever you call. Like, you know, it's You're just... You're starstruck? You enjoy star, meeting celebrities? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I, 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 people love me telling stories about the people I've met. I'll never forget ever in a million years meeting John Candy, and you're breathless, and you're stunned, and you're, you know, people like that. But standing backstage with Lauren Michaels and Dave Chappelle, you do you, like... Do you check yourself? Do you think Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ? Like, well, what, what I do what's is what's it like? What I do is try to engage with Lauren as little as possible. Okay, because <laughs> it usually doesn't go well. Uh, uh, Lauren is uh, as loved by lots of my friends, but yeah. I've never been able to have a, a you know a yeah. great conversation with right. him because I always think I overthink it, right. and I sound like a bit of a dummy. <laughs> but uh, last time I, I I spoke to him, I was at the um, back to something where I'm pinching myself. Uh, when Dave, uh, Dave got um, the Mark Twain Award wow. in Washington, wow. I was part of his uh, little group of invites with Liz, and uh, and there was a VIP room there that I shouldn't have been in, um, and uh, you know had a chance to have a chat with Lauren, and uh, you know I, I I said to someone else uh, to, to Robbie who always says uh, you know it's you know it's it's hard to have the right conversation with Lauren. I, he said, how'd you do? I said, ah, a six. He goes, phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> what makes it difficult to have a conversation with him? I find him intimidating, yeah. you know? Um, and um, he's super intelligent and, uh, you know, look at look at the body of work. And I, I think the most important thing, as much as you can sit down, comp- you know, you can criticize any episode for sketches you can't believe got on. 90 minutes of funny a week is really hard. Yeah. Okay, really hard. Yeah. And to cast that show as well as has been cast with his eye on it for every year since it's been produced, it's pretty spectacular. Okay? Um, pretty spectacular. Is what he is, intense as a personality? He's intense, yeah. I think it, yeah. he's I, intimidating. Yeah, I've never met him. But, but you can be intimidating, but that you can also be disarming. But and I, if but you're I, aware yeah, but that he, you can I, be intimidating, yeah. why not be disarming? I think, yeah. he, I think he presents as aloof myself. I've never yeah. met the man. It's unfair of me to say that. But when you see him, and the, the thing that disavows me of that, I'm, I, you know, since we've been doing podcasts and since radio has gone where it's gone, I never get in the car without listening to a podcast. And to a person, the old cast of Saturday Night Live, David Spade, Dana, uh, David Spade, Dana Carvey, Tina Fey, 
you know, the list goes on and on. You know, uh, Alec Baldwin, Steve Martin, the people who've been involved with him, they all do an imitation of him, and they all love him. Yep. They absolutely love him. And I understand he changed their lives, right. you know, but all of them talk about how he was not an easy man to work for some nights. And I'm as sure. you point out, doing that for 50 years for 90 minutes every Saturday is a pretty tough gig. Tough cake, and everyone wants to criticize you, yeah. and everyone wants to be on the show, and everyone wants to stay on the show, even if, you know, especially in the early years, the early episodes, it's hard for a new performer writer to make a, an, you know, an impact. Yeah. Um, I mean, all you have to do is read any one of those SNL books. It's it's a tough room. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, some pretty funny stories. Uh, there's that. I forget who wrote it, but uh, he just wrote a book about TSN as well. But it's uh, it's it's told through interviews with hundreds of executives and cast members and guests on the show and hosts. Uh, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you ever meet Carson? No. Did you ever meet Letterman? Yes. Ish. Ish. Yeah. Uh, Letterman adjacent kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Got you. <laughs> okay. Um, um, he completely intimidates me and I yeah. had a number of friends that worked for him for years and tough uh, boss, tough boss. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely have such admiration for the man. Oh, I, I'm a yeah, massive just, fan and, and lucky enough to know Morty and my friend Frank yeah. Gannon that segment produced the show forever uh, and got lots of inside stories yeah. on him, um, you know. And you know who I don't think gets enough credit is Kimmel. I think Kimmel's spectacular. Kimmel is, is the perfect combination. First of all, you got to start in radio, and that's apparent when he's on television in my eyes. He's a good broadcaster. He's a, He's a good really broadcaster. good broadcaster. That's what Letterman was. Letterman yeah. was a really yep. good broadcaster who understood the median. Kimmel's mm -hmm. got that. He always Kimmel's like Letterman. He can't take a compliment. He always downplays it. And and what I would also say about uh, Jimmy is that um, he's become a very good monologist. Yes, you know, um, yeah. I You know, he's not a stand-up, but no. his he's got one of the best monologues yeah. uh, on late night television. Um, I think he's excellent. Um, and, uh, you know, Jim, Jimmy's been to the festival a number of times. I think he's yeah. been even, I think he had a stag here. He's so <laughs> in love with Montreal, yeah. but he's a very nice guy. Kind and decent man. That's yeah. all I've heard about him. Yeah. He made me laugh. Uh, and I'm, I won't do it any justice cause I'm paraphrasing when the writer's strike ended, he came back and said something to the effect of, uh, you know, the, his one great regret was about the writer's strike was that it was on when, uh, when Trump went to court and, uh, his weight is 215 pounds. <laughs> what a field day they all would have had with that, well, hey? You know what? I highly recommend, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you must know already, but I'll, I'll mention it anyway. They, and you can still find it. They've all gone back to work, but all the late night hosts got together and did a podcast called Strike Force 5, which is absolutely <laughs> terrific. It's yeah. John Oliver, Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, uh, Stephen Colbert and oh my, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon. Fallon. The five of them all got together on Zoom and they were looking to do something while the writer's strike was on. And what they did was they raised money for their staff, oh. all of their staffs. And you know who came forward with the dough? This is not surprising. One of the main sponsors who paid a huge amount of money to sponsor the podcast so that all the hosts could disperse the money to their staff who were, you know, they were, some of them were needing, some of them were in, in danger of losing their house. Ryan Reynolds. 
Wow. Ponied it up, and there, I, I think there are only four or five episodes, but those five guys in a room. So Ryan wrote the check from his production company? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Strike Force 5, it's he, called. He was one of our very special guests in our inaugural London Festival last year. Wow. Very nice gentleman. Yeah, it was another guy. Is there, was there one, it's unfair to ask you, Bruce, but is there one when you look back, and how many years now? 19? Yeah, I think eight. I've done... 37 of the 41 or 38 of the 41 38 of the 41 yeah. is there there one when you you know when you're lying in bed at night and you think back about all those years is there one that sticks out where you say to yourself chris i'll never forget that a, a performance yeah well you know what to be quite honest so that i what really i get the biggest kick out isn't a star turn or that moment where Chappelle walked out there or Ray, Ray, uh, Ray Romano or, or Chris Rock. It's the silly shit, you know? <laughs> uh, one of my favorite thing of all was the, the, uh, the guy, Chris Lynham, that put a you know, Roman candle in his buttocks and <laughs> danced across the stage to there's no business by show business, uh, like show business. But, but even better, it was, a, it was a 45 recording of the Ethel Merman version of the song. <laughs> Um, and then what he would do, business like show business, and, and then he, he takes the, the flare, pretends he's smoking it, and says, good night, motherfuckers, and walks off. And by the way, that's what happened prior to Tim Allen doing his set yeah. that changed his life. Because when he went out there, it was people going, what the fuck was so that? Same show? Same, yeah, show. same show. He yeah. wasn't supposed to do that. Okay. Um, so we we in those days because we thought Chris was really funny. We thought, oh, he'd be a great host. Worst idea of all time. Okay. Uh, he should just come on and be what he was was sort of a punk clown and a very good one. Yeah. Um, but he just forgot there was one more act. So Tim was. This is before Home Improvement. This yeah. is the set. This is, excuse me. This is the festival that got him. And if he had tanked, we wouldn't have seen home improvement. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, and f very funny story <laughs> is that he turned it around and showed everyone how great a standup he was, and he killed home improvement right. everything. Uh, but prior to home improvement, that some the next year he got nominated for best performance in a standup special <laughs> on our Showtime TV show, and he was up against Billy Crystal going to Russia, uh, Bill Maher. And I forgot another major star, okay? Oh. And he's sitting there for sure losing, right? Billy Crystal's multi-million dollar trip to Russia where he's going to, you know, talk about his homeland and it's, you know, it's a big production. Everyone thinks he's winning. Um, and he's doing five minutes on JFL Montreal, okay? He wins. He walks up. He's not prepared. So he goes, uh, uh, thank you, rocket butt. <laughs> <laughs> And then says something like, I, I want to thank everyone, and walks off. So still to this day, wow. if I run into Tim Allen somewhere, and I haven't run into him in a while, but 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 32, you know, 22 years ago, how's Rocket Butt? You know, and he will tell the story. Yeah. If we get him to do an interview about some, you know, anniversary edition of Just for Laughs, he will talk about that story. Um, I find that way more funny. Yeah. You know, that that's a – and then – and last but not least – uh, there was an act called The Greatest Show on Legs. Do you remember them? I don't. Okay. So The Greatest Show on Legs mm -hmm. was a two-minute and ten-second destruction uh, booking. Okay. Three or four. I think it, must, I think it was three. 
out-of-shape British men in their 50s, maybe 60s, to the, would dan- come out stage with balloons covering their genitals, okay? <laughs> and this ridiculous song that I, you know, you should find it and put it over this interview because it's, it's so perfect. They basically do this dance making sure that they never disclose their privates. And then they start to ch- uh, try to pull each other's balloon away, and then they're trying to burst them, and it's just a complete disaster. And then they, when the balloons are all burst, they you know, show off their, their pride to the audience, and they walk off. And it is utter destruction. Okay, people at first are like, what, what? is this stupidity? And was stupidity? this a theater? Yes, okay, wow. okay. So um, just destruction. Um, and so that year, Andy Nauman decided, because he had been on the, the, the I guess at the time it, it was the Geminis, but now it's the Screen Awards, the, the right. sort of Canadian Emmys. He was uh, one of the guys voting on who should be, you know, winning different categories uh, the year before. And he said, it's so boring. We're always fast-forwarding every show. I go, well, that's terrible. He goes, yeah, yeah, we, if something's terrible, we just fast-forward it and we watch a couple of minutes and go, fuck it, and we throw it out. Uh, and then we try to go to the golden you know, but the best things for it is the nominees. Um, what would be funny if we sent them the greatest show on legs? <laughs> because they'll be sitting around that meeting, bored out of their minds. They'll see this thing start. They'll probably start fast forwarding it. And and it's going to kill. Okay. So anyway, we put it in for a LARF. Okay. We forget about it. So the head of CBC or head of programming at CBC at the time, George Anthony, calls me. And he says, Bruce, I have some phenomenal news for you. The competition is stiff. And this was at the time. It wasn't a comedy category. It was a variety category. So first nominee, Sarah McLaughlin. Second nominee, Rita McNeil. These are all big one-hour specials. Third nomination, Celine Dion. Uh, Blah, blah, blah special from CBC. Fourth nominee, the greatest fucking lesson. <laughs> and he goes, and I go, you're joking. So, it, uh, you know, so I call, this is a legendary sort of ulti comic god by the name of Malcolm Hardy. He ran this crazy club in England where he was always looking for the edgiest stand-ups, the, the most ridiculous variety acts. And he was the, one of the lead characters in Greatest Show on Lakes. Um, I found him. He was in a pub. I told him. And all I could hear is, next round on me to the whole pub. And it was, uh, and then we thought maybe we'd get a split vote, but we, we lost. <laughs> I got to ask you if you remember the bubble blower. Remember the year the oh, yeah. bubble blower was there? And I remember being in the audience going, what? Like, what is happening? Okay, now what is happening is something that Andy Nolman distilled in us and that I actually think we need to bring back a little bit. Okay. And that is, let's not take ourselves. Right, I, I, we went. We learned where to go. And right, we didn't do bubble people Not anymore, year. unless no. they yeah. did it naked or something. Right. You know? um, <laughs> we were looking for those variety acts that would either give the standups just a break from eight m- m- monologists in a row, just something good that didn't distra- detract from the next person, just a break so they could get back to focusing on someone blah 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 in their face, um, but. Once in a blue moon, we would find something that was so ridiculous. The yeah. Tokyo Shock Boys. Did you ever see them? No. Nope. Okay. 
Just look it up. It is okay. insane. Um, so we would go crazy when we would find one of those acts because we couldn't wait to just throw them into the fix festival mix to see who would get upset because right. the purest comics <laughs> furious at us. Yeah. Um, uh, there is a great interview um, that um, John Oliver does with Colbert about an, a bill that he was on in England early in his career. That John uh, Oliver was on? John Oliver was on. He talked about it on Colbert. You can find yeah, it very easily. But basically, the two acts on that bill were two acts that Andy Nolman found. One was called Mr. Methane, and he could fart every song you've ever heard, <laughs> including the Canadian National Anthem. Um, that was who opened for John Oliver with one microphone, by the way, one microphone. Nice. After John died a horrible death, the next act that we booked many years ago, again, uh, uh, the regurgitator. Oh, I remember that guy. Yeah. yeah. He could he regurgitate. the guy with the, he would do the, like, he was like a, di- a swan neck. Yeah, he would put in goldfish. He 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 could fix a Rubik's cube in his stomach and spit it out. Jesus. Okay? Yeah. Um, and you would have passed out. And, 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 he closed, and he closed that show. But when we could throw those that silliness into a show, quite honestly, it yeah. was the as much as the comics wanted to kill us, it was the best thing for them because the, the audience just took yeah. a break. It yeah. was silly. Um, it's like a they, palate cleanser. It's yes. like a moose boosh. And they, they killed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, yeah. I've got one more. I yeah. want to ask you one more about a, one more thing about a worldwide phenomenon when we just have to take a, a quick break for um, a couple of our supporters, our sponsors, um, one of whom is Matla Bonheur. Again, family-run business. Talk about them all the time. I know if you're sleeping on a mattress that's more than 10 years old, that's a bad idea. I speak from experience. When we left Montreal and moved out to Vancouver, my wife stood up one, t- one day and she said, that is enough of this. Because it really can hurt your back and really ruin a good night's sleep. And more and more studies are done about what a good night's sleep can do for your health. And Norm and the family that run Matlabonneur knew this years ago. They became passionate about it. Started with one small store in Saint-Geneviève on Gwen Boulevard and turned it into this really lovely, big family business um, that has stores all over the greater Montreal area, but is still run by the family, and they still have the ideals that they started with. So that means when you walk through the door, you're going to get greeted with kindness and manners. You get asked a couple of questions, and you'll shop in a store that was built around beds, mattresses, and linens, only things that pertain to a good night's sleep. I've been speaking on their behalf for years and thrilled that they're a sponsor of the podcast. Next time you need new pillows or linens or you've decided it's time for a new mattress, go to metlabunner.ca. And Jaguar Land Rover Laval, another returning sponsor who've been with us from the get-go, not only are they a family-run business, uh, the staff are part of the family and the customers are even part of the family. They threw a Halloween party for their customers last month. Nice. Yep. The, the, uh, the grown-ups all uh, did the uh, orders and cocktails thing, and uh, uh, the kids did the more uh, traditional Halloween uh, types of things. Something to uh, to reinforce that uh, family culture. Kids got some uh, balloons, sculptures. There was painting, a magic show. 
and as if that wasn't enough, on the 25th of November, they're going to be hosting a private shopping experience wow. at the dealership for their customers. This is for the Jaguar, Land Rover, and McLaren customers as well. Uh, it's not a car shopping experience. It's a unique boutique-style holiday market shopping experience at the dealership. They'll be giving their uh, clients free manicures, chair massages, haircuts. Wow. They're going to have hairstylists on site. And uh, part of the curated shopping experience, Cameo Collection will be one of their vendors, uh, graciously providing a luxury lounge on site. Uh, private jewelers, La Voute, especially selected boutiques from the Laurentians. And they'll be raffling off uh, ski passes and other prizes from their partner hills, uh, Saint Sauveur and Les Sommets. And all of the proceeds benefit MSNF, Montreal Special Needs Family Foundation. Uh, they were the beneficiaries of an event that you and I were at yes. there last year. Yeah. Uh, Nino and Renato at uh, Jaguar Land Rover Laval are very plugged into the community and uh, they enjoy giving back to the community. Hopefully, if you're listening to this before November 25th, you'll be able to go. And if yep. you're listening after... Um, well, we'll make it... Well, that's... Yeah. I was going to say we'll make a point of getting it on before yeah. November 25th, but you could still listen to it yeah. after. Good that's you? exactly right. Yeah. That's the way podcasts work. I understand. <laughs> JaguarLaval.ca, LandRoverLaval.ca. Are we on now? So Are we that's, on? So that's how it works. <laughs> I'll go over there and sit with Poseidon. You've been very generous with your time, and um, I'm just going to quickly say... Um, I want people to know what a good guy you are, how kind you were, and how wonderful you were to my wife when I was lying on uh, um, in the hospital in a pretty bad way. So I'm deeply grateful to you for that, and I want people to know about that. And just before we go, I want to ask you about, you haven't been able to be on an airplane, turn on the CBC, or watch television in the Netherlands or Japan. Without the or, gags. Right. <laughs> What the hell? What, how did that become so massive, number one? Number two, is it still in production? And number three, how did it start? Well, let's, uh, one and three are kind of the same okay. uh, answer, is that uh, there was a guy that worked for us by the name of Pierre, uh, sorry, still works for us by the name of Pierre Girard, and um, he was working on the TV sales end of things and production end of things, and all of us kept on hearing you have something like Mr. Bean? Because we're at international TV markets. And most of the people you're talking to don't broadcast in English or French. They broadcast in another language. And when they saw Mr. Bean, it was their comedy answer because there are no words. Yeah, you couldn't get on an airplane without seeing Mr. Bean. And, and that's what made Rowan, you know, a yeah. very, very wealthy man, uh, by the way, tested in Montreal. And that tape was used to sell Mr. Bean. Wow. Something he know. still wow. thanks us for. Wow. Uh, um, and that was, again, utter destruction that night when yeah. he did that uh, in front of a French audience. All that to say is that Pierre went back and started thinking about things that could work. And there were a number of candid ca camera formats, all of which had words. And he said, I don't think we need them. There's been other examples of this, but I can make something that uh, now is going into its 25th wow. season. Wow. Um, at one point, because I, I don't think I've paid, you know, I've got the number late, it had 8 billion views. And at <laughs> one point, perfect. it was number one, the number seventh most watched YouTube channel in the world. 
I don't know where it is rated today, wow. but it is still in production. It is wow. still on CBC, yeah. Bell, yeah. I think to some degree TV, TVA, on planes. Unfortunately, it doesn't get to make the whole plane laugh anymore because there's no screens on right, the, unless right. you're in a very dangerous plane, right. uh, <laughs> a plane you do not want to be beyond. on. And by the way, the gags is uh, maybe the last thing you're going to see. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, that is a business that's continued to flourish. And, and it's funny, you know, once I, um, I pushed uh, one of the two broadcasters in Canada to give us a, a plum spot in the schedule and I said, you know, we're getting these ratings and why can't we get seven o'clock on a Tuesday or something? I mean, you know, we, you know, if you could promote it properly and you could do this, we could do so much better. And this smart executive turned to me that was a friend and said, okay, sure. Um, and the one year you don't do as well, you'll get canceled. Here's what you are. You are someone we can put on any spot, a hockey game, a series goes five games, not seven, uh, uh, Something's canceled. Something's rained out. We throw three gags episodes on. It gets a number every time we air this damn show. It doesn't get the number to win the night, but it's basically the Guy Carboneau of TV shows in Canada. And and it's it's the pacifier of stressed flyers flying on East China Airlines between this city and that city because it's... You know, and why is comedy so valuable, nonverbal comedy so valuable on those planes in those years? Yeah. Happy plane. Yeah. Yeah, a little yeah. less obnoxious uh, yeah. flyers. Yeah. Uh, so that's what they would look for. And the great thing about gags was that, you know, you could be, you know, a snobby, you know, uh, 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 you know, maybe you're a professor in a university sitting next to a, to a, <laughs> a, a factory worker. And believe it or not, at some point, you both are going to laugh at yeah. gags. You're and bonding over yeah. it. My last um, story quickly, we were on tour with Rick Mercer, first tour with Rick Mercer. And he turned to me in front of all the comedians and said, Bruce, if I turn on, if the TV turns on and it's gags, I'm getting off the plane. <laughs> um, it comes on and he looks at me. I'm giving you one <laughs> shot here. And then about... Seven minutes later, he turns to me and goes, okay, it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I find gags are like, I mean, this is going to sound absurd, but gags are like the godfather. If I'm scrolling, if I'm dial flipping the channels and I see the godfather, I stop. If I'm dial flipping and I see gags... You, you can't help but stop. You it's have to watch It's universally relatable. Yeah, it's real people, yeah. which is what worked for us in the radio for so yes. many years. You get a caller on the line yeah. who's a real person. It's often the most entertaining part of the show. Yep. Bruce, I can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you my, so, my pleasure. so much. So good to see you both. Yeah, uh, thank you really both great. for everything you've done thank for you. me personally and for JFL over the years. So happy to see you both together. Thank you. And uh, healthy. You know? Yeah, thank you. Touch wood. Uh, right? Um, Could you introduce me to Jimmy Kimmel? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Anytime. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, uh, At least I can get you tickets. Okay. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Bruce. All right. Standing by, the Terry and Ted podcast has been brought to you by the UPS Store Canada. The UPS Store near you is locally owned and operated by a member of your small business community. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.